So do you ever wonder about God's justice? Do you ever wonder whether God is being fair to you? Are you at all interested whether he's fair to other people? I mean, what about this so-called God of justice? Well, if you've ever wondered about it, uh, Malachi's fourth dispute here, and this is the fourth one of the complaints that the people have brought up, addresses people's uh, doubt about God's justice as well. I mean, they're questioning the, res- the rationale of covenant observance. It would be like us today. Well, we just kind of don't think going to church makes all that much difference. And they were just saying, keeping the covenant makes no big difference. Because they said this whole framework of blessings for obedience and curses from disobedience don't seem to have any effect in reality at all. Now, in other words, they're saying what I hear a lot of people say today, and it's this, that evil people, bad people, wicked people, whatever you want to call them, sometimes seem to be prospering. And then we we put on our righteousness for a while and we say, and those of us, you know, who are in church all the time and reading our scriptures, uh, we're, we're getting the short end of the stick here. Looks that way sometimes. Some people prosper and they're not visibly cursed for their sins. So Malachi presents an answer to that charge pretty bluntly. He says, okay, here's your answer to that question. Judgment's coming. That'll get your attention. Judgment's coming. He tells them that God's messenger is preparing the way. And then he tells them when that day will suddenly come. And the people will experience justice up close and personal. So my question is, are you ready for the justice of God to be to show up and show out? Well, we're going to talk about that. Now, uh, notice it doesn't say in verse 2 that he's like a forest fire. You heard those of you before. It does not, it, it says he's a refiner's fire. Now, if you've ever seen forest fires, uh, forest fires typically destroy somewhat indiscriminately. Uh, I used to help my grandpa with the trash in the, the church and the school. He used to take it downstairs to an incinerator. Well, you know that an incinerator kind of consumes everything completely. But verse 6 in what you heard read before said, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You are not destroyed. And the question is, why not? Well, because he's a refiner's fire. And that's what makes all the difference here. Now, some of you are probably saying, hey, fire is fire is fire. Uh, no, it's not. A refiner's fire does something different than a forest fire or an incinerator. A refiner's fire refines. It purifies. It it melts down silver and gold so when all that so-called dross, all of the miscellaneous stuff associated with it is gone, all all the impurities are gone, and it leaves the gold and silver intact. And in this section of scripture today, what does it say? It says, the Lord is a refiner's fire. Now, it does say fire. And and therefore, purity and holiness is always kind of a dreadful thing. So we're really kind of talking today about another church word, which is sanctification, which is the process of being cleaned up. We are already made right, justification, but then comes sanctification. Now, there will always be a kind of a a proper, what I would call, fear and trembling in this process of becoming pure. And we learned it from the time we were little kids. 
How many of you learned this? Don't play with fire. I learned that one. I remember trying, my grandpa's going to relight the pilot lights in the church uh, heating system one time. He said, when I throw the match in here, don't bend over and look in to see what's happening. Well, I did, and and I was immediately led down to my Aunt Gladys' beauty shop where they trimmed my eyebrows and my hair where I had been scorched. I mean, (laughs) that was a refining moment, folks. That was a real refining moment. Now, Christianity is never a plaything, too. Uh, and the passion for purity is never kind of tossed out in kind of a flippant fashion. He is like a fire, and fire is serious business. You don't mess around with it. But it does say he's like a refiner's fire, and therefore it's not merely a word of warning to us. In fact, if you think about it long enough, the fact that there's this word, this refiner's fire, is not a bad deal, except none of us really like to be refined. We don't like to have to pass through the fires of refinement. Uh, but it's a tremendous word of hope when you really think about it. The furnace of affliction in the family of God, let's say the furnace of affliction here at Restore, for example, is always for uh, refinement and never for destruction. God is not here to tear us down and throw us away into a bigger fire. So to unfold this text, I'm going to ask five questions this morning and, and hopefully give you the answer from here from God's word. And the first question is this, who is like a refiner's fire? Now, verse 3 gives us the answer. And as we read it, we can see three different individuals. So I'm going to read this. You can see some people here. He says, I, behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is one of the, what, 26 times that he uses that term, Lord of hosts, in the whole book. But notice the very first individual there is I. He says, behold, I send. And the I is identified at the tail end of the verse with the Lord of hosts. I, the Lord of hosts. That's who's talking here right now. The second individual is the messenger who prepares the way. He says, behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. Now, the question is, who is this? Now, some of you already said, oh, come on, fast. that's an easy question. That's in the New Testament. I mean, everybody has read, uh, you know, Matthew 11, verse 10. They all know uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 2. They all know uh, Luke seven twenty-seven. Right? Well, guess what? The New Testament quotes this very verse and identifies John the Baptist. John the Baptist. But you don't have to read directly into the New Testament uh, that this is a kind of prophet whom God is going to raise up in the last day. It says in Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So the very first messenger here mentioned in chapter 3, verse 1, that God will send to prepare his way is a kind of Elijah Kind of an Elijah or someone like Elijah. And that's why when you get into Luke chapter 1 verse 17, it says that John the Baptist did what? He went before Jesus in the spirit and the power of who? Elijah. There it is. Now, the third individual in this Bible passage here is um, 
It says, the Lord who comes to his temple, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. So this is another messenger, different from the first. So who is this? Well, there are three three things here that, that point to the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, first of all, it's because he's called Lord. It is a term Malachi would not apply to Elijah. He wouldn't use the word Lord to talk about John the Baptist. This is somebody who's much greater. And he said the temple is said to belong to him. He's going to suddenly come where? To his temple. And who could say that he is the owner of the temple of God other than God himself? I mean, it's like, who owns this place? Well, we can say, well, we rent it. from. Okay, but this is God's place. This is God's place. He's the one who owns this. See, he's called Lord. And this person seems to be almost identical. In fact, the word, if you go back in the Hebrew, the word Jehovah keeps popping popping up over and over again. Not only because Jehovah's temple is his temple, but also because he seems to take the place of that word me in the very first part of that verse. It says, behold, I send my messenger, that's Elijah, John the Baptist, to prepare the way before me. Right there. But then he switches. It's kind of interesting. He switches without difficulty. Instead of saying, I'll suddenly come to my temple. He says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now you might say, what's the big deal there? Well, that's kind of a big deal. It looks as though me, Jehovah, is interchangeable with another person called the Lord who actually owns what? The temple of God. Who owns Restore? If the Lord owns this place, he's the one who allows us to be here. Now, does he ask us to do things to make sure that this stays his place? Sure he does. So we can conclude that the messenger of this covenant, the Lord, the owner of the temple of God, is none other than the Son of God who is with God and who is God and, and who, who came into this world and made himself known to us to the person of Jesus the Messiah. Well, we can see that verse 2 goes on here. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears for? Here it comes. He is a refiner's fire. We need to conclude that what he's talking about here is the Son of God who comes to us in Jesus Christ. So that's the first part. Here's the second question. Why come like a refiner's fire? Why that kind of fire? Well, the answer is, implied in the word itself. He needs to be a refiner's fire because we need to be refined. We don't need to be burned up. We need to be refined. Um, we were created in the image of God. We had the potential of God within us uh, to revere him, to trust him, to obey him, and then sin caused us to be dirty, if you will. So you can prove this to yourself uh, in any ways. I can give you just an example. For example, Uh, notice how readily your heart kind of inclines to those things that will show your strengths when you talk to other people. And then compare that with how restrained you are um, in your communion with God in solitude. We kind of like to make a big deal of ourselves in public, and then we just don't really bring stuff up like that with God. So by nature, we are impure, uh, and by patience, but God has no, I guess you'd call it alloys, I don't know if that's the right word, there's no alloys in heaven. 
Uh, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, and yet we, he will have someone in heaven. Uh, he's going to have redeemed people. Uh, he talks about how there's going to be a banquet in the end times, and the banquet is full. So somebody's got to get there. But I'm going to suggest to you, these are the refined people. So we're impure. So he must be a refiner's fire because he can't be a forest fire. We're all gone. He can't be an incinerator. We'd all be gone. That's why there's a need for this fire. But here's the third question. Why doesn't God just abandon impure people like you and me? Why doesn't he just obliterate us? We didn't quite turn out the way he hoped. I mean, we don't know how long it took Adam and Eve to sin. Um... could have been pretty quick. Uh, some people say, well, did they live in the Garden of Eden for a thousand years? I don't know. It wasn't there. Uh, did they last a week? Did they last a day? How soon did Satan come around? Well, why doesn't God just abandon impure people? After all, uh, we don't really deserve salvation. There's not a person here today that can say, well, hey, I deserve it. I got a, a card that's got a you know, get into heaven free card or something like that. Uh, so why are we not consumed? But why does he come as a refiner's fire and not a forest fire? Well, verse 6, I think, gives us the answer. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, by itself, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What if God were changelessly bent on being a forest fire? What if he were changeless in being an uh, an unrelenting furnace? What sort of changelessness does that guarantee that we're not going to be consumed? Well, the answer is it's a covenant-keeping changelessness. Uh, According to verse 1, the Lord comes as a messenger of the covenant. So he's a, ref- he's a refiner's fire. He's not a forest fire because God made a covenant with his people. And Jesus is the agent of that covenant. Uh, he confirms it and then he seals it with his blood. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, 20 says, we have the blood of the everlasting covenant. And the book of Malachi began with a statement of how that covenant began. I don't know if you can remember back to chapter 1, verse 2. This seems like a long time ago. He said, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. See, this is, this is what never changes. The free and sovereign choice of God's desire to save sinners. And personally, I find that personally reassuring because I are one. I was conceived in sin. I was born in sin. I am just plain simple sin. If you want the big fancy uh, theological word, I am covered with concupiscence. (laughs) Big old hairy word. I just plain simple am sin. See, Jesus is a refiner's fire and I thank him for that and he's not a forest fire because I would be gone. So would you. Question number four. How can we experience his fire as refining and not be consumed? That's a good question. How can we, how can he, if we, if we sing today, we could, I think one of the songs, I don't know if we're going to sing this song today. He's like a refiner's fire. I mean, if, he, if we ask him to come in and do that, 
How are we going to live through that process? Well, verse 5 makes it clear that when God comes, not all will be refined. He says, some will be consumed. He said, I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow, the orphan, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that is not the work of refinement right there. But the final judgment of condemnation. But in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, For behold, the day comes like burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that they will leave neither root nor branch. So, when the Lord comes someday, I pray every day that it would be today. In fact, most of the time, I pray that it would come before the next sermon. Um, so when the Lord comes, some people are going to be what refined and some people are going to be consumed. Now, how can we be sure to experience the fire as refining and not be consumed? Well, the answer cannot be get rid of your own sin. How many of you, in all honesty, can get rid of your own sin? Like I said, conceived in sin, born in sin. You're just sin. If you could do that, guess what? You could escape refining. But remember, refining is for sinners. Refining is for sinners. So how then does a sinner qualify to have his or her sins burned up? Uh, Well, it, it takes the merciful God of fire to destroy the rebellion of sin in our life. I mean, what... Can a person do to have that mercy? Well, the answer of the whole Bible is trust in the purifying mercy of God. How are you going to make it out of this world and end up in heaven? Amen. I I just trust in the mercy of God. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. Or put it another way, Malachi says again and again, fear God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? A certain amount of fear is, I'm not going to mess with him. That'd be a good thing for us to remember not to mess with God. But it also means to respect him, to hold him in awe, hold him in honor. We've talked about that any number of times, exalting for who he, he really is. Trust the goodness of God. Believe that his ways are the ways to eternal joy. And so don't, don't doubt his expertise as a refiner. He's good at the job. Uh, some of you have been through the fires of refinement. You probably think, how many times I need to go through this? Well, until you're completely refined. <laughs> That's the answer. See, the way to experience the fire of refining is just to trust his promise to bring us through the fire to endless joy. See, salvation is by grace through faith in the purifying mercy of God. So question number five. What's life like in the refiner's fire? So this is going to get down personal. What's it like living in the refiner's fire. Now, some of you might actually be thinking, I didn't know I was in that. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You are. Sometimes we're not not awake to it, but you are. Uh, The most important thing to say here is that it's it's a life of confidence in God. That's, That's part of it. And the foundation of our confidence is in this promise. And the promise is this. The furnace of affliction in the family of God is always for refinement and not for destruction. 
God has no desire to destroy his children. But he has a great desire in his mercy and his grace to refine us. To refine us. He makes this pro- Verse 6 makes this promise. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And here we are, the sons of Jacob this, today. See, life in the refiner's fire is a life of trust in the unchanging, purifying love of God. And perhaps the, the next most important thing to, it, 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 thing to say is that there, there's no painless way to go to heaven. I don't know if that bothers you or not. You kind of you kind of think sometimes, man. I, I believe in Jesus. It's home free. <laughs> yeah, you are home free, but it doesn't mean without pain. It doesn't mean that at all. Why? Because Jesus said, "Blessed are they pure in heart, for they shall see God." And it's no more possible to become pure painlessly than it is to be burned painlessly. Purity comes through the refining fire, and guess what? Fire has at least two forms. One of these, first of all, is the fire of affliction. Have you been through that fire? Let me give you three Bible passages. I don't know if they're all on the screen. Maybe they're all on the screen. Let me read these to you. It says, Now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials. I mean, could everybody kind of go, mm-hmm, okay. Uh, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which through perish which though perishable, is tested by fire, there's that refiner's fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's one of them. Here's another one, James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy. Come on, Paul or James, you're nuts. I'm not supposed to count it joy to be in the refiner's fire? Count it all joy, my son, do not see count all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, in other words, to the point of total refinement. How about one more? Hebrews chapter twelve, verses five to ten, verse fourteen. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. For the Lord disciplines him who he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child. That's pretty coarse in the, in the Greek language. If you're not suffering anything, maybe you should kind of uh, do a little heart check and, and see where you really are. He said he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, the only way to be holy, which is to be perfect, is to be what? Be refined. The refiner's fire. Make me holy, Lord, even as you are holy. That's almost a dangerous prayer. You ought to duck about the time you say that one. Because he says, okay, you want to really be, you really want to be refined and be like the Lord? See, the other form of purifying fire is the fire of what I'm going to call intentional self-denial. And again, some Bible passages, Matthew 5, 29, 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it and throw it away. That's a tough passage. But he said sometimes you've got to deny yourself. You cut off things that don't belong anymore. 
probably all of us have had times in our life you kind of go, go back at a point in time in your life and you, and you sometimes say, I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I used to use that language. I can't believe that I, I would spend my weekends getting drunk all the time. Or I can't believe that I was whatever. And then something comes and you go, I can't do that anymore. And sometimes it initially comes because it's just not making you feel good physically or mentally or socially. But then it gets down to where you just realize spiritually, I can't live like this. And that's the refiner's fire. And what happens when you cut some of that stuff off of your life? You end up cutting friends off. Sometimes you end up cutting jobs off. Sometimes you cut off family. It's part of that refining 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and make it my slave. That's an interesting thing. That's what Paul says. He kind of, I'm going to beat my body into submission. And I don't allow that my body to dictate my mind and my heart. Romans 8.13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. I love how the guys down in prison refer to the Holy Spirit as the resident president. I always love that. It means you got the you got the Holy Spirit living in you all the time. I always thought that was a good enough reason to quit smoking. <laughs> I made the Holy Spirit down here go. <coughs> yeah, the Spirit lives in me. Why would I want to pollute the Spirit? So, kind of an end question: What is life like in the refiner's fire? What's life like in the refiner's fire? Well, more than anything else, it's kind of the unshakable trust that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. You ever spanked your kids and they said, why are you doing this? You probably said, because I love you. (laughs) Not that you ever got a spanking. Okay. All the others, but not her. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what life is like in the refiner's fire. One last thing to say in this message today, and that's while on the path to purity and while on the path to heaven, the other truth is this. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. See, both things are true. And always remember, the Lord is like a refiner's fire. And a refiner's fire is a fire. May God bless us on this fiery journey. But the cool thing is, His grace is enough. How about that as an introduction for our next song? Why don't we stand and sing that together?